Today's scripture reading is from Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. This is the word of the Lord. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Thanks, Ren. Well, uh, good morning again. If I don't know you, my name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor, teach pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Uh, if you want to call this place your home, you'll probably see me about 75% of the time uh, teaching, and then we have uh, el- an elder-led congregation, which is part of Redemption Church, which is all elder-led uh, at each congregation. There are nine of them across the state of Arizona. And uh, if you do want to call this place your home, that's going to be something you hear actually a lot, that uh, we're one church with nine different congregations. Each congregation is elder-led and lead pastor-led. And there's a lot of nuances to that. So we get questions about phil- you know, philosophy behind it, um, the pragmatics behind it, what does it look like. It's maybe different than some of you guys know of like... Uh, uh, putting it up on the screen, putting the teacher up on the screen, or whatever it is. All that to say, um, a lot of the things that go into what we do is having kind of a central operations team of pastors that helps lead each congregation in certain areas. And uh, one of those guys is Josh Prather. Josh Prather has preached here before, I think twice, once, twice, I don't know. Uh, Probably want to preach here more again, because it's cool. Uh, But... Uh, Josh is over uh, CGI, which is our community and global initiatives. And some of it, there's a lot of reasons that are practical, like the law of diminishing returns. And a lot of it is, um, I think, super great. That sits really well with Josh's gift set. Uh, I've known Prather for a while now. We've become good friends. And uh, Rachel was supposed to come today, but she thought she was too cool and sick, which wasn't helpful. Uh, So wasn't able to make it. But uh, learning him and knowing him, I didn't say this in first service, but I remember when we first met each other, we both had banging long hair. I don't know if you remember that. We both had legit That's right, I do remember that. Yeah. Anyway, um, so, so Josh, who is over CGI, which is a community and global initiatives, he works with each congregation to identify uh, global and local work that that congregation can be a part of, right? Because our expertise at our congregation might not be as vast, and so Josh helps plug people into those different areas. And so Josh is going to help us do something that we feel like is really important to do, and that is make all of us aware, I think sometimes just as elders or the staff or the deacons, we're aware of what we're doing globally and locally. And then we get questions a lot like, hey, do we care about anybody outside the United States? Like, are we doing anything outside the United States? And we are. We're just not good at promoting it for different reasons, whatever it is. And so something that we do is we work with an organization called Radiant Hope that is in Romania that fights sex trafficking there. Uh, There's a group of us that go to Mexico every year and build houses. There's things that we do, and you might be aware of those things. But let's say you go visit Tempe or Gilbert or you go to Flagstaff. And you don't know what they're doing. So Josh is going to help us kind of understand that. But first, Josh, just give us a little insight. When we say CGI, it's not computer-generated, whatever it is. It's uh, Community Global Initiatives. What is that? Give us a 30-second kind of deal for that. Community and Global Initiatives exist centrally to try to help disciple the church, primarily through leaders, me working with Sean, John, Jim, to love neighbors outside of our community and context. So I'll usually say those that are picked last in society, the least of these in society, or those that are lost, and trying to make disciples who have that vision for their life and for their work locally and globally. That's good. Okay, so let's do this. Same thing we did in first service, but I'll get different congregations. Help us understand what's going on 
across the board of some of these other congregations, tell us about Tucson. Somebody decides for some unknown reason to go to Tucson and they visit Redemption Tucson. What would they, what would they, <laughs> for some unknown reason? Uh, There's yeah, no so reason to go Redemption to Tucson. Tucson works with an organization in Guatemala called Champions in Action, which works with at-risk youth. So Guatemala has some of the poorest of the poor um, and has a lot of kids that are easily swept into gang violence and a bunch of other uh, unproductive activities. So this camp actually gets those kids, shares the gospel with them, tries to help them just have an incredible few weeks that's safe and fun for them. And then also it's a great opportunity uh, for people from Redemption Tucson to actually go volunteer and spend time with these kids. Awesome. Tell us about West Mesa. West Mesa's uh, in West Mesa. Tell us about that. West Mesa primarily, so it's a bilingual congregation, so their focus really is on their people because they have a ton of people that are dealing with immigration challenges. They welcome asylum seekers, so them and Redemption Alhambra have been incredible to welcome asylum seekers, and it's also been an incredible opportunity for uh, Redemption Arcadia and congregations near them to partner with them in doing that. So I actually went to West Mesa, heard some of the stories of the people that are coming across the border just trying to find a better life for them and their family, but beds scattered all over Redemption West, West Mesa, trying to connect them with families that can walk with them, partner with them, but that's also the makeup of Redemption West Mesa's congregation. So heavily focused on Mexico um, and Central America asylum seekers. What's awesome about West Mesa, too, is they're starting uh, Immigration Hope. Is that right? Is that what yeah, that's yeah. right. They're starting Immigration Hope, which we as our advent, we gave to them, which is a um, organization that they're trying to get off the ground that helps it um, – it's a lot easier for those who are crossing the border and they're undocumented to become citizens. The process, you can just go, oh, they need to be, they just need to go through the right. Well, it's a 14, 15, 20 year process with thousands of dollars. And so they're trying to uh, rally to make that process not just cheaper, but faster, which is yeah. really, really If cool. you're looking for a way to bless the immigrant population, Immigrant Hope, I think, is a great way because it's trying to create a path of legal citizenship for immigrants that come to our nation, but that is affordable, that is easily accessed. So an incredible organization. The people that run it are phenomenal. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go up north because I know a lot of us go up, try to escape the sun here. Uh, what's it look like in Flagstaff? What are they doing in Flagstaff? Flagstaff actually partners with the same organization that Redemption Tucson practice or partners with. So the leader of Champions in Action in Guatemala is Vince Garvey's friend. Vincent's on their board, and Vince and Dave are friends. So that's how Tucson and Flagstaff ended up partnering with the same organization that's trying to reach out to kids that are in a difficult situation in Guatemala, set up that camp, and care for them. Let's do one more. Let's do the largest congregation, Gilbert. What's Gilbert doing overseas? And- Gilbert Partners in Ethiopia overseas, and uh, their whole vision of what they're trying to do locally and globally is trying to help families and at-risk youth, so that leads them to care for foster kids in Ethiopia. So there's an orphan crisis around the world, but especially in Ethiopia, there's not the safety net in Ethiopia. A lot of kids, which good, which is awesome, they just end up getting grafted into extended family if they become orphans and their family can't care for them. So an aunt or an uncle, a brother or sister will pick them up, but there's not the safety net. So you find a lot of kids on the street when I was there, a ton of street kids. So there's an organization starting in Ethiopia that is trying to mobilize Ethiopians to adopt Ethiopian kids and trying to actually create the system. And the guy that runs that is a guy named Ashilo. He's an Ethiopian leader. He's incredible. And you get him talking about it. I literally, I was sitting down with him and he just started to share the story about it and like broke down in tears. He's been doing it for, for years, but still like his passion 
is Orphans in Ethiopia, and that's who uh, Redemption Gilbert partners with. That's a good one because I think it speaks to how we as Redemption view mission. Um, a lot of you grew up in a church where it's kind of fly in, blow in, blow up, blow out, and you're done. We really believe in dense, um, kind of weighty missions. And so even an organization like that, he just, Josh just said it, but you might have missed it. There's a sustainableness to starting an organization that has Ethiopians adopting Ethiopians. That may be normal for Americans to adopt Americans. You'd be like, well, that's just normal. That's not normal there. And so Americans adopting Ethiopians is not going to help the orphan crisis in Ethiopia. Ethiopians adopting Ethiopians. And that, to create and make that a norm at the government level, I, mean, I think even the president or somebody just adopted an Ethiopian, he's Ethiopian. I mean, that, they're having world-like renowned effects around things that we just kind of like, oh, yeah, that's a normal deal. It's really cool to see some of that stuff. Yeah, and we just have a huge uh, hope to partner with local leaders in their local context that know that local environment, that know the kids. So that's why it's so powerful to actually partner with an Ethiopian leader that can actually guide us in how to partner with them. So he's at the front. He's at the tip of the spear. He's the one leading it. And we're kind of coming along, uh, alongside of him or coming behind him as he's trying to do it. That's really good. Cool. So here's the deal. Josh is going to be in the cafeteria as you go out uh, to the right. There's a connect desk. You may have a million more questions, maybe some of the other congregations we didn't get to touch on about what that looks like. He'd love to help navigate some of that stuff. And are you staying or no? Do you got a role? Uh, I don't know. We didn't talk about it. Oh, yeah. If you got a role, then I'll answer what okay. I can. I may be out there. He but may if, be out there. If I'm not out there, talk to Sean. He can connect. He has a sick you. wife at home, and you brought your daughter, so it's fair to, if you yeah. want to go. We'll pray for you for that, but and other things. Thank you. So, so. Let's pray for Josh. Father, thanks just for uh, who Josh is. Thanks for uh, gifting him the way that you have and uh, the way he's guided and led us as a congregation and, and the other congregations within redemption. I pray a blessing upon his family. I pray specifically even for Rachel. She's sick right now that you'd be with her. Make her well. Um, yeah, we love you. We really are grateful for the Prathers. They are a blessing, not just to the church, but to this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give it up for Josh. Thanks again, brother. Yeah, you can stay or go, whatever. Yeah, so uh, Josh was at Arcadia when I was there doing my residency for three years. And um, yeah, he's the real deal. That's the one thing that I will say for sure that drew me to redemption about eight years ago is um, being in an environment where the closer you got to leaders, the more you realize it was probably a 40-yard fake out. I have found in redemption, the more I get to know the men and women leading at redemption, the more real they are, the closer I want to be. And so I'm grateful for that. Um, If you're new, we are in the book of Philippians. I want to jump in. Uh, and, and kind of just explain some things. I'm going to pray for us in our time, but before I pray for us in our time, I want to read from the book of Deuteronomy, two weighty kind of thick passages there, and I'm going to read them, and I'll explain how they correlate, but I want it to kind of set the tempo of context of the mindset of somebody who would come to faith when this book was written, specifically for a Jew. So I want you to listen to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, which if you've never read Deuteronomy 6, is an amazing chapter in the Bible. But Deuteronomy 6, it says this, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Hear that real quick. Do you hear what he said? So this is the context is um, they just left Egypt. In leaving Egypt, God gives them the law, these commands to follow. And he says, I've given you these commands today. And I want you to take the commands right now that you have. And I want you to put them on your heart. And listen to what he tells them to do. You shall take them, take these or teach these, the, the commands that we're talking about. Teach them diligently to your children. 
and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and shall be the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, so here's what he just said. I've given you a law and I want you to think of this law all the time. I want it to be as you're driving around. I want it to be as you're interacting with your neighbor. As you go out your house, I want you to see it on your doorpost. As you come back in your house, I want you to see it on your doorpost. I want it to be the conversation that permeates with your children over and over again. I've given you something today. Let it continue to resonate. Put things in place in your life for it to continue to resonate over and over so you remember what I've put in front of you. Now, why he does this, as the book of Deuteronomy goes on, um, it's kind of like a uh, journal by this guy named Moses. As it goes on, he tells us why he wants this to be the case. So go all the way to Deuteronomy chapter 30. I'll have it on the screen for you. But Deuteronomy 30, listen to verses 15 through 20. This is why he calls us to, to continue to remember this law. See, I have set before you today life and good, life and good death and evil. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I have commanded you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Verse 17. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are driven away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I, this is verse 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. So real simple, before I read the last two verses, I've given you this because I put in front of you life, I put in front of you good, I put in front of you blessing, or you can take curse, or you can take death. So as much as this may sound like a All right, this is like a Bible thumping, like fire and brimstone. This is very simple, Old Testament 101. I put these things in front of you. Listen to this, the the end of this. Therefore, listen to God's hope. Choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. That last part requires some context. But the idea is simple. God puts in front of us to choose life. And that's going to help us understand our passage, and I'll explain how. Let me first pray for us. Father, I pray that as we dive into Philippians chapter 4, that Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 30 would, uh, would be in the back of our minds. That we would recognize that you've given us um, very simple ways to serve and follow and grow into you. And, uh, and disobedience seems to be extremely appealing at times. And so um, we want to hear that. We want to recognize that, that in front of us is life and death. We could choose. We could choose. I pray that you would stir our hearts and our affections. You'd regenerate those who do not know you to see the beauty of Christ in the way that you want us to. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So our context in Philippians, with that in our background, Uh, is this idea that Paul is writing this letter, who's a missionary. As he writes this letter, it's to these people who he knows really well. And last week, these people that he knows really well, he's navigated this conversation because when you know someone really well, you can get very practical. He made things very practical for them. He said, you can have the peace of God. And in having the peace of God, here's what I want you to do. Don't worry about being anxious. Rejoice in things. Be a reasonable people. Pray. And this will lead you to the peace of God. 
And the peace of God was described as this. It surpasses all understanding, and it guards our hearts, and it guards our minds. And from that statement, it immediately leads into, finally, brothers. That's what our text goes into. And that brother word, brothers, is just brothers and sisters. Finally, people of God. It leads into this. And, and the reason that's important is, um, what I want to do, and I think this is what the text is doing, is if we are following these steps to have the peace of God, we can begin to navigate, well, well this peace will, will guard our minds. And I want you to look at your text real quick. I want you to see something. At the end of verse 8, it says this, think about these things. That word think is meant to correlate to minds, and here's why. Uh, that word think is a, a command. It's an imperative. It's telling us to do something, and we'll break it all down in a little bit. When it's telling us to command, it's commanding us uh, uh, to do something, it's in something called a middle tense. So you have an active tense and you have a passive tense. This is a middle tense, meaning we work alongside God to give us the peace of God, or more appropriately, to guard our hearts and minds. Meaning, if I'm praying for the peace of God, and I'm living a life that is just debauchery, I'm not going to have the peace of God. But, but as I think, I'm working in congruence. I'm intentionally working in the groove in which God has given me to have the peace of God to guard our, our minds. Okay, so understand this is kind of how these things correlate and where Paul is going with this. Let me read the text. I'll, again, I'll break down, uh, think about these things more. But I want you to look at verse 8. I'm going to read it, and then we'll get to verse 9. There's a few things we need to say about verse 8 first. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So just three quick things before we can break down these words, which we'll spend all the time. A few things. Number one, I want you to, as you look at the text, I want you to see that word whatever. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable. When you see that word whatever, it just means the, to, like the total scope in which this word can be applied. So whatever is true, okay, like that's how that's going to apply. Number two is you see the the words true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellence. As you see those words, it's also important for you to understand that these words are not like mind-blowing to the original readers. I mean, within even Greek and Jewish tradition, and even honestly today, nobody's reading the list of those words and going, commendable? What? Okay, no, you hear those words and you think, yeah, that, that's what we want. And, and Greeks for sure already saw these as solid virtues. But what Paul's going to do is he's going to take these words, and we've got to spend some time on them. He's going to take these words and he's going to do what Mike Goheen calls put them through the Jesus lens, meaning Paul's life is radically different. He sees everything as you read his writings through this lens of Christ, what Christ has done. And so we have to interpret them in that way. A great example is this, and I hate to be the pastor who uses my kids as an example, but it is what it is. Our three-year-old Anna, she's in this phase where she's always saying, I am. So I'm asking her to do something, and she says, I am. But she's not, right? So it's like, Anna, put the shoes away. I asked you to put the shoes away. And she's dancing, right? For some reason, she's doing the tushy shake right now a lot. She's dancing, and I go, Anna, put the shoes away. And she goes, I am, right? And I go, no, no, you're not. You're dancing. And I have to explain to her what it means to put. And she, one, one time, she's going through all the toilet paper, a whole roll of toilet paper. I say, Anna, just two or three squares. That's all you need. And she goes, I am. And I go, no, you're not. You're not. You're, you're not doing what I'm, right? So I have to interpret for her what I mean when I say do this thing. And we're going to do the same thing. It may be seen by the culture outside or the, the, the readers of this day and the culture outside of them. Well, yeah, I like whatever's true. I like whatever is commendable. I like whatever is honorable. But we have to begin to define these words the way that Paul would see them and want us to see them. 
Okay, so we're going to do that, and, and, and we'll spend a little bit of time on that. But the third thing is really important, and I want you to hear, because the command, going back to this command, that word think in Greek is logizomai. It's where we get our word logic from. And I was trying to think of ways that you can see as the command is to think on what is true, think on what is commendable. And you could, you could probably process it, um, even the word process or meditate or whatever it is. The word that I think might be helpful for you is uh, focus. I think that would be a good common English is a living language. Quinea Greek is a dead language. And I think what's trying to be unearthed when he uses the word think is focus. Focus on what is true. Focus on what is commendable. Focus on what is honorable. So that's how you can probably hear that word as we go through this. So I'm going to go through this list. It's going to feel a little, it's going to bog down for a second as we go through them, but I think it's worth interpreting because we still got to get to verse nine. So I won't spend as much time on all of them on the same thing, but here's the first thing that we should focus on. Focus, if you're a believer, brothers and sisters in Christ, focus on whatever is true. Whatever is true. Now, um, when you think of the word truth, right? It's just in Greek, it's the word aletheia. Um, when you think of this word, it's hard because we live in a culture, rightly so, let's just acknowledge it, that um, subjective truth is king, and there are many truths as there, as there are human beings. And objective truth is almost idiotic in some ways. Uh, and, and outside of kind of getting into the endless amount of ink that has been spilled, talking about truth, uh, Pilate's great question, what is truth? When we process the word truth, we don't have to only think of it at a philosophical level. There's a very simple way we can think this as well. And when I hear the word truth, I think of things that are not concealed. See, the idea that um, you would need a PhD to understand truth, I don't think is the area that Paul's trying to get into here. I think it's far more the CEO and the intern both know what is truth. The farmer recognizes what is true, what needs to be done, and what is right in that moment. I know when I'm bending the truth. I know when I'm not fully concealing. I know when I'm not focusing on what is true, but I'm holding to a subjective truth, even in slight forms. But here we're called to focus on what is objectively true. And we're going to process that through the lens of Jesus in a little bit, but let's keep going. Whatever is true, focus on whatever is honorable. A good way to think of the word honorable is tested over the period of time. I've been trying to think it through this. I've had the definitions of these words over the last couple of weeks. So I've mulled over them again and again, trying to process this. And the word that I think, the language that I would, I think can be helpful um, in understanding honorable, which has a sense of weightiness or density behind it, is focus on what is old, right? Now, I don't, I told first services, that doesn't mean like have a picture of Jim Ellis in your wallet or purse, right? Like Jim Ellis, what would Jim Ellis do? Um, but rather, uh, there is something there is something uh, that gravity holds to when there is a weight of tradition behind it, okay? And so when something is time-tested, you, you know it doesn't feel as secure. And honorableness has a weightiness that goes, to be honest with you, that has always almost been seen as the church. Unfortunately, in the last hundred years, the church has bought into the lie of kind of poppy flash, and we have forgot that we have a honorable tradition, right? And that's not traditionalism, where it's like this living faith of dead people versus dead faith of living people. Like we would hold, uh, Miles was telling me this, and I forget the guy that said it, but the difference between tradition and traditionalism, hopefully I don't botch this, says traditionalism is the, the uh, Josh, are you here? 
He's not here. It's something really good. I wish I could share the quote with you guys. It was really, really good. The point is this. I'm not saying you can't do anything new. I'm not saying that you have to only like do old things, right? What I am saying is think on things that last. And one thing that I find extremely helpful and encouraging as I was thinking through this is I became extremely grateful for Josh Miles. I did. That's actually why we talked about it between services, because here's what I love. You may come to Redemption Peoria and you may feel like the songs are like older. You may like the preaching that we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. But there's something more than just taking hymns and revising them that that I I think the hope as uh, Josh works through our liturgy, the hope that I, I think all of us as leaders would would hope for you to see is that you would see our liturgy and the closer you got. So what we do on Sunday, you would see that it's more dense than you originally thought. Meaning, the language that Josh uses all the time is, we want to prepare them for death. That one day suffering is going to come. And here's the question, what songs will you sing on that day? What will you process when you need to grieve? Do you know how to lament? And the hope would be that there's a density, a weightiness, and honorableness about us gathering together corporately. And we should think about those things, not just church things, but the things that have weight to them. The things that are, that, that, that are uh, time-tested. That's what I hear when I hear honorable. Next, whatever is just. Um, this is a simple word. In, in Greek, the word just is the same word for righteousness, diokasune. It's the idea that um, we have whatever is wrong in the world, that is an unjust thing. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And we need to focus on things as the way they're supposed to be. So uh, we think of it as righteousness pertaining to ourselves, but we think of it as justice when it's pertaining to the world. And we should focus on those things. Whatever is pure in its simplest form, again, this is the same word as holy in Greek, hagias. It's the idea that if something is not diluted, it's not watered down. Focus on things that are potent, things that are, are right, straightforward. Whatever is lovely, I love this word, okay? Because if you grew up in church, you might have heard before this idea of love as the word agape. It's this word that uh, is used all the time. That's not this word here, okay? Uh, This is a different word in Greek, and it's far closer to somebody who's looking and going, oh, that's lovely. It's not so much love in relationship as, oh, that's beautiful. That's how I would interpret this word. That's that's beautiful. And and here's why I think this is um, awesome. If, If you were to process... Just beauty in general. Somebody, I, I think, when you read the words, like, lovely or whatever, somebody can come to my house, and they can tell me, uh, they can look at my garden, look at the trees that I've tried to plant over the last four or five years, and try to make this food forest, which is insane. I'm trying to put all this together. They can tell me what nitrogen needs to be in the soil, what photosynthesis is, how much carbon needs to be there, what H2O does. They can tell me all of these things. They can tell me what is right about the process of trees and plants growing. And they can know what it's true. That's true but they could also not appreciate the beauty. They, they don't care that, I, like I look and I see a watermelon growing and it's this huge and I'm like, this is crazy, growing a watermelon, right? They don't appreciate the beauty of it. Now that hasn't happened, but the point is this, you can know what is true, but not appreciate what is beautiful. Focus on what is beautiful. Focus on what is beautiful. Whatever is commendable, this one's a quick one. I just think when I hear the word commendable, as per the definition, I think it's well-recommended. If it's commendable, it's well-recommended. I think Frank Switzer is the pastor at uh, um, Arcadia. When he talks about this, well-recommended or well-reported. He says, think of things that are commendable as something that you would recommend. 
Simple enough, right? We're almost through this list. Let's keep going. If there is any excellence, don't think of this word as excellence as uh, doing your job excellent. This is usually how it's turned into. There are verses that apply to that. This word is far closer to a moral excellence. Think of things that are morally excellent. We try to tiptoe along the line of sin. Don't focus on that. Think of excellent moral dignity. Think of where you are, who you are, whom you belong to, that type of excellence. And then finally, it says this, if there's anything worthy of praise. It's almost as if Paul goes, listen, this list isn't complete. Let me, if I miss something, focus on godly things. I, if there's anything worthy of praise, the articulation of this sentence structure here is kind of cool because I think it's almost asking us this. If you could have your thoughts be audible for a day, would you be down? Like you're at work, would your, would your boss, like, man, Sandra, she's a great boss. I love working for Sandra, right? Like, oh, hey, Bill, there are you. Man, Bill looks really good today. Because that's probably not what you're thinking, right? The idea that your, your thoughts could be um, broadcasted and heard, what, are they praiseworthy? Would someone go, oh, yeah, I, I like that he's thinking that. I like that she's thinking that. That's what it, this, this idea. And then he goes on to say, finally, as we covered a few times, think about these things. So there's the list of what we're to focus on. We'll get to verse 9 in a second. But let's stop, okay? Because here's this list that I would argue isn't fully complete, but is meant to draw our attention towards godly things. And then he makes this statement, which we've already talked about twice, so let me cover it one for a third time. He tells us to think or focus on these things, which gives us an opportunity to read into what is not there. Meaning, if we were to take these commands and read them in the opposite, we might um, heighten our awareness. Meaning, you can look at these words and go, yeah, commendable, true, beautiful, I love it, I'm all for it. But to tell us to think on those things means naturally we're not going to think on those things. Which means there are other things we shouldn't think on which also says we should force ourselves to, to uh, get there. We should train our minds to get there. That To think on these things, the command to look at, focus on these things, means that there are other things that are trying to call us to focus on. And so suddenly, this section of verses doesn't become this kind of walk through the park as we lackadaisically, yeah, lovely, commendable, honorable, that's great. But rather, we start to hear war-type language. To go to war with our mind is to say, to think on these things. There are a million other things I want to think on. There are a million other directions I want to focus on. But you're telling me to think on these things, to focus on these things. Suddenly this text, if it's seen through a wartime mentality, becomes brutal. Brutal. I love Sam Storms. He says this in... uh, his commentary on this idea, he says, words like honorable and pure and just and lovely and excellent are soothing and reassuring to my heart. But there is a gentle brutality at play here as well. What I mean is that Paul uses these terms not so much to give me the warm fuzzies, but to challenge me in terms of what I uh, value most and what I do with my time. And it's brutal. It's easy to think of those things from far away, but if we're putting in then to focus on what is lovely, to focus on what is true, we have to be strategic. Because let me say this, um, if, if, this is, if this is going to be the case and we have to think ahead, there's going to need to be a lot of things in place. You're not going to be able to surround yourself with, with some of the things that you might surround yourself with currently to think on these things. I mean, true story. So here's where I'm at even with watching movies. Um, 
Candace and I, my wife and I, we'll watch movies we just felt a few years ago. Movies with nudity we're just not down with anymore. And I felt like violence has never bothered me. And even language for a long time never bothered me. Until we watched a movie, it was probably like five or six years ago. We watched a movie and it just had an insane amount of F-words. I was like, good Lord, right? And so we listened, we watched this movie. And I just remember thinking after, like, we left for the next couple days, I was thinking cuss words, right? Now, you may think, who cares? You can cuss as much as you want. That's fine. I was thinking words I didn't want. They were putting conjugations together. It didn't make sense, right? And so I didn't, I didn't want to get there. I didn't want to think those things. And so I had to forego those type of movies. That's me. That's not to say that has to be you. But what it caused me to do is I thought about going to war and thinking these things and being proactive to think on those things. I thought... What have I done? What have I seen? What questions have I had to ask myself that might be helpful for us? And so I want to give you a list of things that I've asked myself. They may not be helpful for you, but let me give you a caveat to this, okay? Um, Legalism abounds within all of us. So I'm going to give you a list here, but I got saved later in life in a tradition that used these things to contort righteousness. So I'm going to give a list here, but just because you do these things doesn't mean you've got it all together or you're focusing on what is true, honorable, right, okay? I have just found these things helpful. In the same way, if you struggle with pornography, uh, you, need to, you need to have some type of monitoring and accountability when it comes to technology. That's helpful for you, okay? But it can also be legalistic. And so let's go through this. I think here's some questions that you can ask. Do you want to focus on these things? Listen to this. What about the music you listen to? What about the movies you watch? What about talk radio? Something for me, the talk radio you listen to on your way to work or on your way home. What books do you read? What shows are popping up on Netflix? What conversations do you have with your friends or your, your coworkers? Something on that's really interesting. Uh, right when I got saved, me and my friends always used this term fool, and we always called each other gay all the time. And this carried on. I'd been saved probably for three or four years, and for some reason, God started to like do some things in with me, like, you need to quit calling each other gay. And I was probably, geez, I was probably 20 years old, and I stopped doing that. I had to like train myself because it would come out naturally, right? But I realized when I was around them, it was a lot easier to use that language still. And I'm trying to just stop this language for whatever reason. I'm just trying to stop it. And as God's convicting me on it, it's hard to dwell there while I'm trying to like reorient my mind to not use this certain language. And I think that was a good question for me. What conversations am I having with my friends at, you know, neighbors, work, whatever? What text messages are you reading and sending out? What about the people you date? What about the places you go on the weekend or after work? Where do you vacation? And then these uh, uh, last three, I think, were most telling of me. What are your hobbies? What are your secret habits? I think that was a big one. And this was a huge one for me. What do I daydream about? Daydreaming is something where you can just kind of let your mind go, and it can go to places that are not. And for me, that wasn't helpful if I didn't have control of what I daydreamed about. Now, again, legalism abounds. So you can hear all those things and go, oh, well, great, I got the things I need to do. Wow, have you missed it? No, not at all. I'm saying if we're to think on these things, that means there are other philosophies, according to 1 Corinthians 10, to think, take every thought captive. That's been taken out of context a lot. When he says that, take every thought captive in 1 Corinthians 10, he's talking about counter philosophies, other things that are trying to, to overcome the power of Christ and the philosophies of Christ. Take those thoughts captive, things that are going to war against your mind, focus on what is good, right, true, pure, right? Okay, then he goes on to verse 9. Let's keep going. We're almost done. Not really. What, have you, uh, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. I want to break that part down, but the first part I think is important. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, stop. 
when we've gone through this list of what is true, what is pure, what is right, what is commendable, what is honorable, some of you see those words, and here's the unfortunate nature of your situation. You don't know what that looks like because you don't have people in your life to show you what that looks like. And so what we have is a bunch of self-imposed orphans on Sunday, nibbling at the table once a week for two hours, another 166 hours of the week, we're doing whatever we want. And we can't understand why we're just inebriated and anemic to the things of God, why we're so hungry and misled. We can't understand it. So let me put two things in front of you. Paul's making a declaration to a people that is hard for many of you to understand because Paul is saying, you've seen this in me. You've watched me do this. You've watched me practice these things. What you've received from me. Hear me, two things. One, discipleship. Some of you will continue to walk this journey out and you have no one leading you. You have nobody guiding you in this process. You don't know what it's like to see. And hear me when I say this. As somebody who grew up with a drug addict father, it was the men in the church that taught me to be like a man. If I didn't have the community of faith around me, I would not know what it means to be a good father. I could not visualize what it means to be a good husband. It was the people in the church, women included, where my arrogance and ego shot up. Certain women would not allow me to go there, which leads to the second thing. It's not just discipleship from a man or woman above you, but there's also peer discipleship. And where you go throughout your week to not engage with people of the faith, it's no wonder you're lost. It's no wonder you can't help but under, what does that mean to think on things that are true? You haven't seen it. You haven't watched somebody play this out, so I cannot encourage you enough. Get discipled. Get yourself in a Christian community. Now, when he makes this declaration, he uses the second command, right? What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, now he takes it not just um, intellectual assent, but now it becomes practice. He makes the language there, practice these things. Um, I love the word practice because here uh, it means intentionally put in place. Intentionally put in place. So let's talk about what's not going to happen. What's not going to happen is you're not going to wake up tomorrow and naturally thinking on pure things is going to be at nine o'clock. That's what's not going to happen. At best, at best, You will succumb after work to whatever Instagram, Facebook, and Netflix puts in front of you, and you kind of mold your way into society. At best, at worst, I wrote a list of where I go. At worst, I don't think of things that are true. I lie to self-protect. At worst, I don't think or focus on things or practice things that are honorable because I engage with the shallow because it's easy. At worst, I don't focus, practice, or think on things that are just because I act unjustly because I think the the scales should be tilted my way because the world revolves around me. At worst, I don't practice things that are pure because I enjoy what is convoluted because it's a quick fix. At worst, I don't think on things that are lovely or don't practice things that are lovely and beautiful because I fixate myself on poppy mind candy. You know what's interesting about that beautiful thing? Take another minute on this. Um, uh, I was in the car the other day, uh, I think like last week, with Pablo and Bacanzi, who attend here. And we were driving, and we got to an intersection, and Pablo's driving, and uh, we're taking a left, but it's not an arrow. It's just a green light, which means these cars are coming, right? And as they come, we have to wait until there's an opening so we can turn. And um, we get to the green light, and no one's moving. It's not an arrow. 
no one's moving. And so Papa's like, okay. And as we drive by, it's because there are three lanes of traffic. And this is only the people that I can see. But each car in each lane, they're not going because they're all on their phones. They don't even know it's a green light, right? Now, outside of the insanity that is that moment, and I now believe also, I think, is also illegal. um, Outside of all of that, the the irony of that we are trying to be so productive, we're actually literally going nowhere was hilarious. You're, You're trying to get so much done, you're literally not going anywhere. To not appreciate and stop and look what's around you. And it's not just, that's just a, like a parable. This is true of our life. For us not to stop and see what is beautiful. But because the quick article, because of the scrolling, because it's easy to say, you've seen three of these three shows, are you sure you want to keep watching? Yes, right? Because it's easy to do that, we go there. And it's difficult. It's difficult to wage war with our mind. It's difficult to practice things that are lovely and beautiful. But that's where I go. We're not done. Not do I just, on my worst, I don't, I don't think, enjoy, or focus on what is commendable. I follow the train wreck, right? Because everybody has to know what Kanye and the Kardashians are doing. I don't focus on what is, or practice what is moral excellence at my worst, because I live a cheap lifestyle, because the price of excellence is just too high. The reality is, these things are put in front of us to go to war with our minds, and now as we practice our body with. And I want to encourage you by saying this, um, at first, it's going to be awkward to do this. If you're, if you're going to get serious and get down for the cause, at first, it's awkward and it's difficult. But it's interesting. I told you a couple months ago that um, I'm training for next year, Memorial Day, to do this thing called the Murph, which is this mile run, this workout between, and then this nether mile run. I'm trying to get it under a certain amount of time. And as uh, my wife and I have been doing this training, we're about two months in, it's getting easier, right? It's getting easier to do. I'm like, do one-arm push-up, pull-ups? I'm not really, not at all. Um, <laughs> If you could see me, it's like, I was close enough, um, okay? But now that I, we've been doing it for a couple months, there's two people in the congregation, I won't say who, because I don't want to put them on blast. They started doing it with Candace and I a couple weeks ago. And you watch them do it, and they're like, so they're doing this thing, and it, honestly, I think, oh my goodness, I think they're going to die. Like yesterday, the guy I was running with, I ran a lap around the neighborhood. It was, it was five in the afternoon, so it's hot, and we're running outside with a 25-pound vest on. And we're running outside, and I, I'm way ahead of him, and I get home, and I realize he's not there. And I think, oh, my goodness, I, I think he— So I start to jog back. I think I'm going to find him on the ground, right? But here's what I know. Here's what I continue to tell both of them. If you keep doing it, it may stay a little bit difficult, but it will become more natural. If you can stay with it— And, and so hear me when I say this. There's no days off with Christianity. Because if you take that day off— and you try to get back to it, it's going to feel unnatural again. But I promise, I promise, I promise you, I've seen this in my own life and countless followers of Christ. If you continue to reorient your mind and practicing the things of Jesus, it may stay difficult at times, but hear me, it will become more natural. And that's the hope there. It becomes, and we become... um, we become strong with it. I was trying to explain to Josh Miller, who's, he- who's head over our youth stuff here. He's from Minnesota. This is his first summer here. And he's like, it's not that bad. Well, here's what Josh doesn't know. He's only experienced the microwave right now. He's been, the Arizona heat, 115 degrees for two weeks. It's awful, but you can get through it. It's six months of this junk, right? Like, talk to me at the end of September when you're thinking, hey, do we have a fall season? No, we don't. We don't. Okay. <laughs> And so, so listen, it's not the microwave, we're in an oven, right? 
It's the long haul. And if you grew up in Arizona, you know what to expect, and you're going to get there, and you just expect it. But unfortunately, you've been pitched this garbage of fast Christianity. And so you, you go through, and it's poppy, and it's great, but you're like the, the seed that sprouts up and dies. So hear me when I say this. If you can get in the groove of this, it will become more natural. Let's go to war with our minds. Listen to the promise as we finish out. I love this. And the God of peace will be with you. I love this because the God of peace is um, something called an inclusio where it's tying with what we had last week. What were we promised last week? The peace of God. And this week we're promised the God of peace. Now, this is intentional because what happens when you begin to practice these things more and more, you begin to resonate and uh, join yourself with Christ. And, and suddenly we see this isn't so much a disconnect of attributes, but we start to become like someone. I wrote a list. Listen to this. It is Jesus who is the truth. It is Jesus who is the most noble son of God. It is Jesus who is the standard of righteousness. It is Jesus who is the fountain of purity. It is Jesus who's altogether lovely and beautiful. It is Jesus who's the admirable savior. It is Jesus who is the source of all virtue. And it is Jesus in whom God and Jesus alone in whom God is entirely approving of. This whole list is meant to have us resonate with Jesus. It's not about things to do. It's about a relationship to have. We're not talking about changing our minds like Tony Robbins or Zig Ziglar. This is a transformation through relationship. And the more we act in these ways, the more we become like Jesus. And the more we become like Jesus, the more we know who he is. Let me finish you with my man Spurgeon. Never can say it as well as he can. He says this, if you link yourself with Jesus, you are joined with the highest moral power in the universe. He is the embodiment of everything Paul has commanded us to do. It's all about Jesus. All virtue, all beauty, all holiness, all truth, all that is good and right is found in him. Think of these things. This is not some abstract philosophy, but a call to a relationship. If Christ is in your thoughts, then all these things must also be there as well. So then, my brothers and sisters, my exhortation is simple. Hold to Jesus. Think about him. Rest in him. Live in him. And you will have these things. Let's pray. Father, you are good to give us Philippians chapter 4. You are good to give us a list that um, has been contorted by our society in defining those terms. And um, we're grateful that Jesus, you aren't just like a good representation of these things. You're the standard for all of them. You're the creator of all of them. And, and that causes um, some moments of reflection within our souls to think through what it means to focus on what is true and right and pure. So God, I pray that we would want to know you more. Jesus, we'd want to be more like you that this list would draw us near to you and not just to be better human beings, but, but truly to have a relationship, not to be a betterment of society, but to truly have a relationship, not just to be some uh, religious figure, but to have truly a relationship with you. Help us get there. We love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.